Hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of the School for School Counselors podcast. Y'all, I'm so glad you're here. I love recording these. You have no idea. I have found such joy and purpose in sitting down every week behind this microphone to record another podcast episode. And it's been so exciting to see all of the results and things that are happening in our school counseling world because of our episodes. We just hit the top 2% of podcasts in the world, which blows my mind. I can't even believe that that's a thing, but here we are. And it is all because of you, because you continue to show up and listen each week, because you continue giving us ratings and reviews and you're subscribing to the podcast. And I just can't thank you enough. It is just so humbling And such an amazing privilege to be able to come here each week and give you thoughts and suggestions and resources for your school counseling practices. We got a really cool review recently from uh, J1009, and their review is titled, Where Was This When I Started? And they went on to say, I wish this podcast had been around when I became a school counselor over 10 years ago. While I loved my grad program, there is so much you can't possibly learn until you're in it. This podcast is helpful to veterans and newbies alike. I appreciate the honest and practical advice. I look forward to many more episodes. J1009, thank you so much for that review. You have no idea how meaningful that is, and I'm so glad that we're hitting the bullseye for you. And for our other listeners as well, Um, as again, I said, it's a humbling and empowering experience to be putting this podcast out into the world. And it's something that I was deathly afraid of for years and years. So thank you so much for that encouragement and for your recommendations. If you know a school counselor who might benefit from our podcast, please send them our way. Share an episode with them. If you're an Apple podcast, you can go to the top right-hand side of your screen on your phone, click the little drop-down menu, and it'll give you a share link. Share it out. If you feel led, give us a review. Y'all, those are the lifeline of our podcast, and it determines um, whether or not Uh, Platforms like Apple and Spotify recommend us to other school counselors. And it's just so helpful to get all this blood, sweat, and tears out into the world for others to hear and experience. We have the best audience on the planet, hands down. And I just so appreciate your loyalty, your enthusiasm, and your camaraderie. So thank you. You might hear um, some weird edits in this episode, and here's why. I am still recovering from a lengthy illness. This has been going on for a few weeks now. I'll give you three guesses what it might be, and um, (coughs) uh, you heard a little, little evidence of it right there. So if you hear some weird kind of edits or blips and burps in the episode, it's not um, anything weird going on. It's probably just editing out some sort of coughing attack or something like that. So please bear with me. But I couldn't let another week go by without addressing something that I am seeing so much of in social media feeds for school counselors. And that is regarding separation anxiety in students. 
So I wanted to hop on the podcast to not only give you what's on separation anxiety in schools, but I want to tell you the things that I do personally to address separation anxiety kinds of behaviors, um, how you can really approach those and mitigate them. This episode is going to be for any school counselor who feels like they're at their wit's end with the crying, the screaming, sometimes the biting, hitting, kicking, running students who are doing these things every single day. You're feeling defeated because you know this is how your day is starting and it is so hard. And you might feel like you've tried all the advice that you've seen in other places, but you're just still shaking your head going, what do I do to manage this chaos in the mornings? This episode is for you. So separation anxiety in schools is not always what it appears to be. And here's what I mean by that. Since COVID-19, which (laughs) so tired of saying since COVID, right? It feels like that has just pervaded our world ever since 2020. But since COVID-19, it seems as though anecdotally, we're seeing an increase of these separation anxiety types of behaviors. Anytime we go through a mass traumatic event, we're going to see some things like this come to light. I think lots of parents were deathly afraid for their child's safety for a year or more. And if you are anxious and in fear for your child's life for an extended period of time, there are going to be resulting things going on with that. And so I think a lot of this increase in these separation anxiety behaviors is actually being driven by parental anxiety. We also know um, from our DSM-5 that separation anxiety can be driven by parental discord. And we've seen, too, an uptick of that since quarantine times and everybody being socially distanced, spending more time at home with one another. We've seen a lot of those issues really come to the forefront. So as you're evaluating the situation, just kind of keep those in mind because they can definitely be factors. Now, one of the things that I always strive to bring you is a research-based perspective on the things that you're working in. Often, and you've heard me say this, oh my gosh, how many times, but often in social media, the suggestions and advice that we're given are not research-based. They are, again, anecdotal responses, sometimes just flat-out misinformation that's been handed from person to person to person until it's been repeated so often everyone believes it's true. And in the realm of separation anxiety, I find this to be especially true. So here's what I did. I did a search through most of the major school counseling social media groups that I'm a part of and just kind of looked to see what folks were recommending to their colleagues about addressing these separation anxiety types of behaviors. Then I went into my DSM, went into my treatment manuals, went into the research articles about separation anxiety to see what they recommended. And I wanted to see how both worlds correlated. 
I'm sorry to tell you, they correlated almost 0%. Y'all, 0%. It is especially disheartening to me thinking about all of the school counselors who have accepted advice from their colleagues online in good faith and saw no results, perhaps felt defeated or like a failure because the suggestions didn't work in their situation and thought maybe it was them. Y'all, that that breaks my heart to think about that. So this episode is an attempt to help correct that situation. These are not my opinions. These are research-based, and these are the things that I personally do in situations of separation anxiety. I had the privilege of working on a campus at one point in my career that showed (laughs) some significant separation anxiety issues. It was not parentally driven. Most of these students were not living with their parents. They were very much rooted in traumatic response and gave me a great opportunity to work through those scenarios with a great supervisor and really learn in depth the different kinds of approaches that work in those situations. But before we jump into that, let me give you the major suggestions that I saw in social media that did not appear in the research. Okay, so if you hear some of these go by and you've been doing them, that doesn't mean you're wrong and not trying to shame anyone here. We're doing the best we can with what we know and what we have. I get it. And I would be lying if I said I hadn't tried a few of these myself earlier in my career. So no shame in this game. But if you are currently utilizing any of these approaches, just Be super discerning. Really put some thought into them and why you're doing them and whether or not you're seeing that they're effective. If you're doing them just because you were told to or because you're looking for a quick fix, then you probably should reverse course. If you're trying them and they seem to be working, then gosh, I mean, stick with it. You you might be able to, to give us um, some insights um, in your own research paper coming up in the future. We would love to know how you made these work. But here are the common suggestions that you see in social media for students showing behaviors that look like separation anxiety. Number one, give them an important job in the morning so they have something to look forward to. Number two, Read a storybook with them like The Invisible String or something similar and color a picture about being with your family. Number three, allow a comfort object or pictures from home. And my very favorite, number four, and I'm saying favorite very facetiously, create bracelets for the student and the parent to wear that match. Those were the most common suggestions that I saw in my social media group perusal, and not one of them has a true basis in the research. So again, if they're working for you, great. Uh, Maybe you have a tack on that that the rest of us don't have. But for those of you that are looking for a little bit more, who are looking for a little bit more um, 
again, research-based approach to these behaviors. You're not seeing traction with those kinds of approaches. I've got some suggestions here for you. Number one, in the school realm, we're going to be focusing on our old favorite, coping skills. We're going to be looking at coping mechanisms. When that feeling of anxiety comes to a head, what is it that you can do to help de-escalate yourself, right? What are some things that you can do to help yourself get through the moment? A lot of that comes with recognizing some somatic symptoms. What are your triggers? How can you be prepared for those? So that's number one, looking at identifying and practicing those coping skills. Number two, and this is going to be especially um, important for those of you working with younger students, your elementary students, early elementary, on up into, I would say, even fifth grade, child-centered play therapy techniques, just non-judgmental, very accepting, trusting the student's capacity to grow, those kinds of things, just to promote an awareness of self and to increase the student's own motivation to overcome these separation anxieties. If you're not familiar with child-centered play therapy approaches, there are tons of videos. Go YouTube Gary Landreth. He is a legend in the um, play space for therapy. And although we know we're not providing therapy in schools, right, that's not our role, we can take some of those techniques and some of those approaches to help students in the short term. And sometimes that's all they need. They don't need to be referred out if we can just get a good handle on what to do with them in the short term. So the child-centered play therapy approaches, unconditional positive regard, non-judgmental trust in their own capacity to grow can go leaps and bounds for students who are feeling this way. Mutual storytelling is often another great technique. And don't write this one off for just the little ones. This can be super effective even with adolescents. And when I say the word puppets, some of you are going to say, ah, there is no way. But I'm here to tell you, when I've had puppets in my office, nine times out of 10, the students that went for them first were my pre-adolescent and adolescent boys. There is something about those puppets that those boys really, really like. And so don't be afraid to try this with them. You just alternate telling stories Through these puppets, you could also use dolls or stuffed animals where you first model how to walk through one of these um, separation anxiety situations. And then the student also tells a similar story utilizing those same skills or suggestions or thoughts. It's called mutual storytelling, and it can be very, very effective in addressing the root of these anxiety responses. Third, and I rely on this one a lot, is having the student draw a picture or create some sort of art piece that depicts what they're afraid of when they're away from their caregiver. This can be very telling. 
If you have a student who gets involved in this activity and ends up with a picture that depicts no fears of being separated or no extensive fears, then you know you probably don't have a true separation anxiety situation on your hands. You probably have an issue of school refusal, which is different. And then the last thing that I recommend doing in these situations is, and this is going to sound a little persnickety, but you guys are used to this with me by now. The DSM and our training manuals tell us that often these kinds of separation anxiety behaviors are actually stemming from parental anxiety and sometimes parental discord. So you have parents whose anxiety is so hyped up, they just can't help but push some of that off onto their child, whether they realize it or not, whether it's conscious or not, it's just kind of bleeding over. Or you have a lot of issues going on in the home. Uh, Typically, this is between parents, but could be between other family members. And it's just carrying over into the school environment with these separation anxiety looking behaviors. Parents can do some work on their end to help sort of mitigate these anxiety responses. Uh, I'm not going to go into them in depth in this podcast episode just because we're getting on up in there in our time. But I will let you know that there is a whole host of recommendations that you can make for parents who are truly invested in the issue and want to help their students succeed when they arrive at school in the mornings. We're going to have some printables and some videos on our website for our School for School Counselors Mastermind members. That's where we go to learn these things more in depth, to really become expert practitioners in our craft, and to get the right kinds of consultation and research-based advice that we need to continue addressing issues like these. So if you haven't hopped in our mastermind yet and you're dealing with something that looks like separation anxiety, I'm going to really encourage you to hop over into our mastermind. I think it could be a game changer for you and you don't have to stay there forever. You could just hop in and get what you need and hop right back out. We'll always be happy to welcome you whenever you want to come spend some time with us. All right, so I hope that was helpful to you. I felt like I was just talking a mile a minute and so Just to recap quickly, the major pieces of advice that are being handed out when it appears as though a student is suffering from separation anxiety correlates almost 0% with the research. So if you're seeking advice on social media, take it with a grain of salt and strive to be very discerning. The top recommendations from research involve teaching students coping skills and positive self-talk, mutual storytelling through puppets or stuffed animals, a true child-centered play therapy approach of unconditional regard, non-judgmental play, and trust in their ability to grow. And then lastly, investigating the parent aspect of these anxieties and providing parents with some tools to help address what's going on with their student, particularly if they're having trouble arriving at school each day. Those conversations can go a long way if they have to be approached gently 
and non-judgmentally, and it can be a trick for sure. But we're here to help you if you need us at the School for School Counselors Mastermind. You can check it out at schoolforschoolcounselors.com slash mastermind. And again, if this episode was helpful to you, if you felt like you got some good um, ideas for addressing your own separation anxiety situations with your students, please um, share this podcast episode with a colleague post on your social media, help us get the word out. We want as many school counselors uh, to have access to this podcast and know about it as we can. And it's not for our own recognition. It's not why we do this. It's never been why School for School Counselors exists. It's to get the right information out to our colleagues to empower you to become an expert on your campus. Because when you begin becoming an expert, you build clout. When you build clout on campus, then you're looked to as a leader. And when you're looked to as a leader, gosh, it's so much easier to advocate for your program. And nothing for nothing, most of you are in areas where your state organizations are not actively advocating on your behalf. Neither is your national organization. It's going to be up to us to pick up the reins and make that horse run. And part of the way we're going to do that is through advocacy from the inside out. That involves becoming a really great practitioner with a lot of expertise and know-how to be able to build that clout and leadership on campus. That's what we're here to help you do. So um, this is not about us. This is about you. And this is about our profession as a whole. And if you felt so inclined to help spread the word, gosh, we would be so super appreciative of you. So thanks for joining me for this episode. I really have had a lot of fun talking with you about it. And I hope that you've enjoyed it too. I will see you here again next week for another wonderful podcast episode of the School for School Counselors podcast. Until then, y'all take care. Mm-hmm.